and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 76. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing Next Gen's fourth season, kicking off uh, the fourth season with Best of Both Worlds Part 2, Family and Brothers. Here we go. The Best of Both Worlds Part 2, Season 4, Episode 1, Production Number 175. Original air date, September 24th, 1990. Directed by Cliff Bowl, written by Michael Piller, music composed by Ron Jones. Guest cast include Colm Meany as Miles O'Brien, Elizabeth Dennehy as Lieutenant Commander Shelby, George Murdoch as Admiral J.P. Hansen, Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. <laughs> Captain Picard has been captured by the Borg. His captors have manipulated him into a half-Borg, half-human called Locutus. In doing so, the Borg have access to Picard's extensive knowledge of the USS Enterprise, its crew, and their strategy to defend Earth. Commander Riker is promoted to captain of the Enterprise, and he finds the adjustment painful and difficult. But he takes the captain's chair after Guinan convinces him the only way to save Picard is to let him go. Did he ever tell you why we're so close? No. Well, then let me just say that our relationship is beyond friendship, beyond family. And I will let him go. Okay, so I guess the most memorable thing from this episode is probably um, Locuta's sexy chest. Um. (laughs) Best of Both Worlds Part 2 Wow I want someone else to kick this one off Because I know that I could talk for another hour (laughs) I listened to our last episode And I talked a lot about Best of Both Worlds (laughs) Probably too much So, Well I think it's impossible to live up to The first really in a way I mean it's it's certainly To me the first part is Is Far superior, not to say that this is um, bad or anything of that nature. You know, it's just, uh, you know, it's it's fine. It wraps it all up. And uh, and frankly, I'm more pleased at how they don't just wrap it up and forget about it, um, it as we'll see in, in the later episodes, some of which we talk about today. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's – I do th- – I, I do f- I do think it's interesting and it's a lot of fun when they're rescuing him off the ship that – feels uh pretty epic and the action is good and all of that so i think it's enjoyable i think it's just hard to hard to live up to what the first one promises you know the expectations and so forth yeah pretty much after um, you know after like the first five minutes of the episode you, you know you know the enterprise doesn't do anything to the board cube and it takes off on its merry way to earth um it kind of feels like um the first episode we have um you know riker you know, he's still, you know, going, you know, we talked a lot about Riker in the first part of this episode, um, and it still has that kind of that same feel. Now he's, now he is the captain. It's not even, um, it's not even like he's just filling in, you know, he's been promoted to captain. Um, he gives that little speech in the, in the, um, to the crew, you know, um, at first I was kind of like, yeah, this is kind of cheesy, but that was actually kind of a good speech. And then, you know, I think probably the better of the scenes in this episode are the ones um, between um, Riker and Guinan, where she kind of explains to him. You get a little bit of the uh, of um, the Guinan-Picard relationship, mm-hmm. what, it, what it's about and how it's about, and she shares that with him because um, obviously we know Guinan has some 
acknowledge that this is going to work out all right, but um, she has to do her part to make sure Riker is Riker. And um, we see that later in the episode. We actually see Riker. You know, he, we, know he's, we know Commander Riker is one who takes risks, challenge. We've seen that in previous episodes. And um, he, um, he really comes through in, in this episode um, just being Riker, not trying to be something that he's not. Yeah, I agree. That, that that scene with him and Guinan, you know, she's such a great character. They use her so well. Sometimes, you know, you, you think it must be because it's Whoopi Goldberg in the '80s, so uh, <laughs> you know, they don't they don't get to use her any old time they want. <laughs> you know, it's a big deal right. every time she's on. So they make it take great advantage of it. She's in like one scene, and it's always a very well-written, pivotal scene, and her character's so much fun and so cool anyway. But yeah, that scene between her and Riker, it's really good. And and that moment when she says something like, um, we're closer than you can imagine, uh, and I will let him go. You know? Mm -hmm. It's it's really great, because one, it has some fun Trek stuff, like she talks a little tiny bit about their history, it's kind of a mysterious history, but it also, you know, obviously the main thing is that it it, you know, it, it's it's showing exactly what Riker has to do. And I love, you know, and of course I agree that this episode is not, it does not live up to part one. Um, but I really like that they defeat this undefeatable enemy, which, you know, the last episode we saw them in, uh, you know, the first time we saw them, I should say, uh, Q-Who, uh, the Enterprise, mm-hmm. got its butt kicked and the only reason they got out of it is because Q warped them back to the Alpha Quadrant, you know? Um, and then in the previous episode, Best Both Worlds Part 1, they were they were undefeatable, and we just saw them in Wolf 359, you know, destroy, like, you know, 40 ships or something. Anyway, the most undefeatable enemy we've ever encountered, Starfleet has ever encountered, and they find a very believable kind of way... Uh, to defeat them in a way that seems totally legitimate and fair. So that is, it's, it seems, I don't know, it seems obvious, but in a way, that's like my favorite thing about it. I think that's what keeps it grounded. Because um, I think it would have been easy to kind of cheat that. Because obviously, you know, they were the Enterprise had to win. But uh, that, I've always really, really appreciated that. And it, it does make it fun, you know. And so anyway, so we're tying in this legitimate victory, you know, that this legitimate plan that Riker comes up with it's totally tied into this idea that he does have to let him go and like Caesar like you were saying he has to kind of think for himself and be his his be the captain and everything so so it's weird it, yes it's not as good yet it's completely satisfying mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. oh I'd agree uh, yeah I also enjoyed um, the kind of uh in a way, it's you know the, really the two most popular characters, Picard and Data. You know, how they kind of it, you know at some at some of the key moments, those those two are faced off and part of the key part of the action. You know, you're talking about some of the little sexy chest parts. Yes, of <laughs> course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you just reminded me of. <laughs> I love, it makes me laugh out loud every time. Um, when 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 uh, or Picard starts suggesting to Data, and he says, "Sleep, Data." And, and Russia is like, "Oh, the poor thing, he's exhausted, <laughs> like idiot, or something," you know. 
<laughs> Data's just really nice. He's like, I'm sure he is, but I don't think that's what he's suggesting. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I tell you, early on, uh, so it opens with the, the big plan with the deflector dish firing as a weapon, and it fails because Picard knows, because Locutus knows, has Picard's memories. And uh, Locutus says to Riker, you know, the Borg Collective has all of Picard's memories, and we know everything he knows now. Uh, resistance is hopeless. And then he says, number one. <laughs> that is yeah. so creepy. It's still yeah, so creepy. Yeah. You know, because it, he says, we know everything Picard knows. And then he calls him that name that only Picard would call him, you know? It's, um, it's still or, creepy. I still think it's creepy. Just shows that there's just a little bit of Picard still left in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I didn't. I never took it that way. I took it as um, that's how that's how well we know everything Picard knows, mm-hmm. and we're rubbing it in your face okay. by calling you number one. You know, um, that's how I always took. Which is why it was so creepy and kind of scary. Um, so when you guys were watching this, so you know, obviously um, the Wolf Three Five Nine. That's such a um, pivotal battle for not only. Um, this series, but it, it'll be a very pivotal battle for Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I always um, think about the emissary watching this episode. I always yeah. think about it. You know, and it's um, it's kind of cool. And you know, I know we talked about this um, when we, we were doing our DS Nine shows. Um, how what a what a character moment this is for Picard, and not only Picard. We find out it's such a pivotal moment for um the Cisco character, and I you know every time I kind of see these episodes, I I kind of I, I talked about this in DS Nine that you know I kind of wish they would have done. At least one more episode with the card and um, Cisco to kind of um, hash this out, but um, yeah. But if you think about it, yeah, this is a very. I mean, you know, from here on out, I mean, Picard is going to be haunted in one way or another by by these two episodes. Um, and um, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about that obviously in the next episode. But um, mm-hmm. Wolf Three Five Nine. Um, I think it's um, one of the more pivotal battles you'll ever see in Star Trek. My original question was, were you guys dis- I mean, I think if this was a DS9 show, we might have seen a little bit more of the battle. Were you guys satisfied that it was just um, wreckage and halls, or would you have liked to have seen like maybe a little bit of battle go on? No, I thought it was... Because we've never seen Starfleet decimated this way, mm-hmm. I feel like it was worth more. I mean, I know they did it. They, they didn't show it for budgetary reasons, but you know, if I try not to think about money, um, I think that in a way it was, what was so amazing about this battle is that it was so decimating in a way that Starfleet has never experienced. We've never been defeated like this. Mm-hmm. So what's a better way to show, instead of just showing a bunch of ships getting blown up to really give us the sense of, this has never happened to Starfleet. We have never been defeated like this. One ship defeating 39 or 40 ships. Nothing like that. A better way to show that, rather than just a bunch of ships flying up, is to show us the wreckage and show us the Enterprise bridge crew looking at that view screen, mouths agape, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. freaked out, like, oh my God, we have no concept of this level of defeat. In a way that is more effective than just showing all those ships blowing up to me. That's how I've always felt about it. Yeah, okay. there's really no adequate way to uh, show the battle that can live up to that, you know. So all you do is you just show the result. When you think about it, even Emissary, which they gave them, you know, gave them a lot more money because it was the big, you know, pilot episode for the series, still 
doesn't quite live up to. Yeah. I mean, I think the only time we ever got that Borg battle living up to that, you know, was the beginning of First Contact. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, still, while it didn't have J.J. Abrams' money, it still had way more money than, you know, any episodes of any of the shows. Yeah. So. Um. <clears throat> I, I do like that. I do. I think Steve, you mentioned earlier, but I think that it is very exciting when they actually rescue Picard. Mm-hmm. It's so well thought out. Like especially like it's a very nitty gritty kind of point. But the the bit with uh, Data and Worf, and they have to go through. You know, they have to take a shuttle, so they have to go through the ec- outer kind of uh, shield. And once they're in there, then they can transport. But even then, once they get back and they fly back through, then they're immediately transported off of the shuttle after they get out of that. Mm-hmm shielding mm-hmm. section because they anticipated the fact that the Borg would immediately blow, you know, destroy it once they realized that they'd taken the little cutest. I don't know, just all those little bits it's, it's and it plays very fast and, I, and, I, and I've always enjoyed that and we don't mention music very often on this show, kind of take it for granted and I've, every time I bring up music I say we don't mention it enough but <laughs> we mentioned it last time and I'm going to mention it again and this is I'm pretty sure Ron Jones which is unusual since most of the time I'm not the biggest fan of some of his scores but I loved his music in Best Both Worlds Part One, and I love his music in Best Both Worlds Part Two. That little moment when, when um, Data and Worf, and he's like, "We're leaving, we're, we're leaving the the shuttle bay in precisely three seconds or whatever he says," and and Ron Jones score, there's like this little this little like moving flute thing, mm-hmm. but it's just giving you this, but he, but it just came from this kind of actiony, more big poppy kind of portion because the the Borg uh, cube is you know firing. Um, it's just this little thing where it just we're in motion. It feels very like you know big motion picture you know at a movie theater kind of thing to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's quick, but those are the kind of little moments that really sell it. Um, and I, and I really enjoy that, and I always have, and I always remember. It. Anyway, yeah, because I think I think you know I think his music works best with either like ominous or action kind of scenes. The way there's a lot of movement in it and such like mm-hmm. that. You know, I th- to me that's why it works so well in this two part these two part episode. Yeah, and I guess, you know, since Dennis McCarthy is my favorite and most of my favorite episodes are, you know, more character or drama based mm. and not the action stuff and that stuff that McCarthy does in spades. So yeah, that mm-hmm. I guess that makes that that's that sound. I mean it's not gonna be that much longer before he leaves the show. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which season it's either this or season five, I forget, but it's not that much longer and he's gonna and Ron Jones is gonna leave and McCarthy's really gonna take over even more. <coughs> oh wait a minute. Okay, um, and I, you know the other thing I've always kind of remembered. We talked about that scene with Data and, and Locutus and in um, Data's lab. Just Data kind of hooking in there and processing, processing. You know, it's such a mm-hmm. Data little moment, but that whole section. There's just something about it that you that I always remember. Um, in a way, one of the reasons maybe this episode doesn't feel as as it's not as good as part one is is because it just doesn't feel as big because you know I mean yes we see the aftermath of that battle but it feels like most of this episode is either on the Enterprise bridge or in Data's lab yeah you know it's kind of and then also they they have the fundamental problem of they're not really introducing anything new here mm-hmm. right. even the sets <laughs> are the same ones we were just on in the last episode which makes sense even like the Borg sets I mean you know and that I should take a uh, very brief. Um, uh, sorry, I haven't had enough sleep. Uh, another thing I should talk about briefly. Um, 
normally we have kind of a, an opening section anytime we start a new season to talk about what's changed. I kind of didn't do that here because this is the first time next gen didn't change very much. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the right. this is the first time a lot of the same people came back. So Michael Pirlo comes back for his second year. Uh, Ron Moore comes back. You know, um, some of the writers, not all, but some of the writers they come back more than usual. More for all the production people. Uh, the, the point is, there's more consistency and less trepidation and fear and oh my god how are we going to do this than ever before coming from season three to season four um and that kind of has a a practical effect here um which allows them to start in such a kind of confident way but also means um there isn't as much because, like, like we said, say season three. Okay, that's the season where Michael Pillow took over and said our episodes are going to be about our characters, you know. So, like each season, there's something. But here, uh, there wasn't that much, and that's why I didn't actually mention it. Um, but if you were a nitpicker, haven't heard that term in a while, but they used mm-hmm. to use that for Star Trek fans. I mean, if you were a nitpicker, you could find the stuff that's actually like they changed some things visually, lighting, hair, stuff like that, which kind of doesn't make sense since this episode opens seconds after the first one ends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but honestly, that's not the kind of... I, I never even noticed that stuff. In, in, when it's pointed out to me, it's obvious, but I, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just not how I watch Star Trek, so I never noticed that. I respect the people who do, but that's not me. Anyway. Well, listen, Deanna gets a new dress in the next episode. We'll see, I believe, right? Or is that... Oh. Mm, right, well, right. You guys, are the, you guys are the costumers. You're the ones... Like, yeah, <laughs> collars. No collars, yeah. yeah. Adam and Steve with the collars. Don't tell me you don't notice Deanna's dress when she's wearing different dresses. I always you notice Deanna's even... dress. But... Yeah, no, no, I'm talking about Brian. Don't, Brian, yeah. you're not going to get that <laughs> You notice Deanna's dress. I think she's lovely. Uh, what's this episode about, guys? Locutus sexy chest. I gotta say, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> he just kind of, you know. Well, I mean, chest hair. And, you know, if it was the original series, they would have shaved his chest. But hey, I'm. I don't think he minds. He would mind me making a joke, wasn't it? Just a, a couple years later that uh, God, I don't even know. What's the magazine that does the sexiest man of the year or whatever? Oh yeah. Uh, Did they get up to Stewart? I think Not so. Old. Yeah. Anyway. Uh. Yeah, what's this episode about? Well, you could go back to the the Guinan Riker scene. There's, um, you know, you have to to let go. You have to be yourself. You have to be your own man. Um, those are kind of the themes from um, part one that kind of I'm um, carried over into this episode. Um, that was one of the things I was thinking about. Steve, you got anything else? Yeah, I mean that's that's really about all I could latch on to. Really, was you know using that scene to kind of guide to what it's about because ultimately it was you um you need to kind of step out of the you know the the footprints of your predecessors or whatever if you really want to make a mark i suppose something that effect although at the end everything pretty much gets reset more or less but um you know Riker, (laughs) he's still the perpetual first officer for several more years but yeah um yeah i'd say something like that yeah. Well, probably, probably the first time, you know, it's kind of like almost a, re- re- a role reversal for Picard and Riker from, mm-hmm. the be- from the beginning of part one, where Riker was hesitant, didn't know who he was or what he was doing. You know, we, we saw those scenes, you know, with he was talking to Deanna and he was like, what am I doing here? I'm, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, well, this could be one of the that. reasons that 
one of the reasons that maybe part two isn't as effective as part one is that part one was more clearly about something, and then it, if anything, part one, part two is as it should be. It's about it has similar themes, um, but they're but not you, as well examined, maybe. And, well, I think know, um, it's, it's it's hard to do it in this story. That I mean, you know, because basically these, um, you know, part one, part two, and the next episode we're about to t- discuss, they're almost like a, it's almost like a three-peat. It's almost like they all. Yeah. All these episodes have something to do with each other, more so than than you normally would would expect from you know from Star Trek. Um, so I think we're gonna we're gonna get it. You know, I think they touch on that at the very end when Picard is in the ready room by himself and he just kind of you know probably all those thoughts just rush into him. And uh, that leads last, us into the next episode. One last very quick question. Uh, so when when uh, Picard is making contact with Data in Data's lab. You know, and he starts for the first time to make contact. Is that is that because Data is, you know, kind of connected to the system somehow and he's helping? Or is it just was it Picard's like sheer will that he's kind of breaking out? You know, you understand what I'm asking? Some of the sleep part or before that? Well, when just in general with him. When he, when he, when he takes his hand, when he takes Data's yeah, hand. Yeah, right? when, he's trying to make, when he's trying to make contact, when he's trying to be Picard and Alicutus. I felt that it was Picard was, was trying to come at least part way. Yeah, that's kind of what I got to. Okay. So, I mean, that would imply, I guess the reason we can't see that from more Borg is because maybe they never fin- completely finished Borgifying assimilating Picard, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right. Well, it's just something I've, I've always kind of wondered about. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so a completely satisfying uh, sequel, or not maybe part two, rather, uh, to the part one of Best of Both Worlds, which alone is saying a lot, considering how freaking amazing Best of Both Worlds part one is. Um, and when you watch it back, back with part one, it's still just satisfying too. So anyway, I I really enjoy this episode. And mm-hmm. I will continue to do so for many years to come. Let's move on to six degrees for best of both worlds, part two. Uh, Steve, you're going first or second? I'll go first. Todd Merrill plays Lieutenant Gleason, one of Riker's Battlebridge buddies. He returns in a few episodes as the same character with a promotion to ensign in the episode Future Imperfect. In this episode, Riker. Awakens 16 years in the future as the Enterprise captain negotiating a peace treaty with whom? Mm, was it the Romulans? You're correct. It was the Romulans. Adam, we see Locutus standing in the center contraption in Data's lab. Who did we last see standing there? Would that have been um, Data's daughter? Um, Law? You are correct. It was Law. One to one. Moving on. <laughs> Family Season 4, Episode 2, Production Number 178, Original Air Date, October 1st, 1990, Directed by Les Landau, Written by Ronald D. Moore, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Jeremy Kemp as Robert Picard, Samantha Egger as Marie Picard, Theodore Bickle as Sergi Rojenko, Georgia Brown as Helena Rojenko, Dennis Cregan as Lewis, Colm Meany as Miles O'Brien, David Tristan Birkin as Renee Picard, Doug Wirt as Jack Crusher, and Ian Abercrombie as voiceover. The Enterprise is in an Earth-orbiting space dock for repairs, and Captain Picard is still recovering from the injuries he suffered at the hands of the Borg. 
Picard decides to return home for the first time in 20 years to the 19th century French village where he grew up. Upon his arrival, Jean-Luc is greeted warmly by his sister-in-law and nephew, both of whom he has never met. However, his meeting with his older brother, René, is awkward, for the two have never seen eye to eye. I wrote a report on starships for school. And he won a ribbon for it. The teacher even said it was one of the best he'd ever heard. Good for you, Uncle. You know what? I once wrote a report on starships when I was about your age. Did you win a ribbon too? I don't recall. Family, I <clears throat> I really love this episode. It's, it's yeah. funny because I remember liking it at the time, and over the years, I just like it more and more. And yeah. and it before now, I I had already you know we, we've talked about kind of the differences in uh, television in the late '80s versus um, today, you know. And it, this was such a big deal for them to do this episode, and it really sucks that. This episode got like the worst ratings of the season <laughs> because they had, had to really fight and say, "No, we need to do this character piece." The, what happened? The events of Best of Both Worlds, Part One and Two, are so important and significant, and and it and it will take away from that. It will say this if we keep those as totally a bottle, it gives it less power. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to address what's happened to Picard here, uh, and they had to really fight for this. And they finally gave in. This is one of the few episodes in Star Trek history. It doesn't even have a. There's not even a shot on the bridge, for example. You know, um, so they had to really fight for it. And you know, they originally tried to, because the powers that be up above, they really, they 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 tried to finagle in some kind of a sci-fi mystery or something. You know, I mean, and it didn't work. Finally, they got rid of all that. Even Gene Roddenberry didn't want this episode. He did not want this. He didn't like this. Yeah, they wouldn't have this kind of drama between them, you know, in the future or everything's perfect. Anyway, they really, really fought, and then what happens? He gets the worst ratings of the season. Uh, so we didn't exactly get a lot of these, but we're going to talk about it right now, and then I think it really holds up. Um, I think it makes a lot more sense to more modern audiences. Uh, in the ongoing um, thread about my wife watching this show for the first time, of the episodes I have played, which I've just hit the highlights, so far, which is about to, I don't know, at least half a dozen episodes a season so far. This is her favorite episode of the show she's huh. seen. And I, yes, I played her Best of Both Worlds, One and Two, Measure of Man, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I've played her all the good stuff here. Uh, and by far, she liked this more than any of the other episodes she's seen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that that's very telling, uh, especially for, you know, modern audiences. Um, but regardless, I think it holds up because it's really, really about something. And I think that it it makes Best of Both Worlds better. You know, you can't think about Best yeah. of Both Worlds or First Contact without thinking. I mean, imagine First Contact without family. <laughs> you know, yeah. I can't. I cannot. Um Anyway, well, I mean, you know what we were saying before. I mean, all the, the these three episodes—they all interconnect, and um, I'm I'm sure Steve would agree. And but yeah, this episode definitely holds up, and it's, I remember really enjoying it when it first came out. I, and I thought I really I really liked it then, um, because it's a very human story, and I like that they just decided to you know what this something very traumatic happened to um, 
Jean-Luc Picard, and um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. And um, I I'm glad they did it, and I think this episode really holds up. And I think um, even though it didn't get the ratings at the time, I think in the long run, um, that's you know you know they got the last laugh because I, I definitely think it's a cherished episode along with the um, best of both worlds one and two. Well, even if it wasn't, I mean it. Yes, the fact that it's. <clears throat> character piece and nothing but a character piece makes it very unusual for Star Trek. It's it's just as unprecedented at this point in the late 80s. Uh, 80, 80, 90. Yeah, we're still technically in the 80s anyway. Um, it's still unprecedented uh, just to get a continuing storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, over the course of multiple episodes. Even the just, okay, Best of Both Worlds, Parts 1 and 2, at least that's a to-be-continued Part 1 and Part 2, okay. Um, but as we talked about last season, when Sins of the Father ended on kind of this open note about Worf's discommendation that we're going to have to address that, that was unprecedented for Star Trek. Um, the fact that they're picking... You know, that if you watched Family and hadn't seen Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and 2, you might be a little confused. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. unprecedented for Star Trek. You know, so even just despite the, the fact that the content of being a character piece is unusual, um, the fact that it's a continuing story arc is, is incredibly unusual. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and you you brought up war, and yeah, there's a lot there with warp. You know, we, when, you, when I first think about this episode, I always think about Picard going home, having that um breakdown moment but i it's easy to forget that um wesley has a very um emotional scene in this episode and Worf has some very emotional scenes in this episode there Worf's a little bit more of the comic Worf and his parents are a little bit more of the comic relief in this episode but there's still very you know serious and character driven scenes for um the character of Worf yeah i think i think overall this episode is one that um is a little bit overlooked in terms of people's lists, even my own, in terms of best episodes. I mean, it's, it's easy to take for granted, I mean, when it's following best of both worlds and these kinds of things, but I mean, it's well done on all fronts. Like like we've already mentioned, it's it's fairly revolutionary in terms of the continuity, um, The and, and it successfully juggles, I mean, really three, there's A, B, and a C story, even if, you know, some are pretty small in the, in the course of the episode, but none feel short-shrifted, none feel like they're just padding for time. I mean, it's, it's very well put together and it's emotional and does have something to say i mean i don't know what else you can ask for and all the performances are really good too like even the guest stars the, yeah. the guy that plays his brother <laughs> is so good because yeah. you know you've got you're introducing this character in one episode we're not going to see him again you you've you don't have a lot of lines to kind of define him but ron moore's script is so excellent you get so much you, mm-hmm. you've got the guy's face is like that scrunched up face and then yeah. he's got a few lines that we can tell that he's like anti-technology and mm-hmm. conveniences and that's it and his character is, is really well defined for that um, and his performance is so good you know mm-hmm. they did, that I, they just, I believe it yeah yeah, and they just set it up so well right there you know obviously they haven't seen each other for 20 years he's sitting there chewing on grapes doesn't even really look at John <laughs> yeah. Luke yeah. it's just like eh, well we eat dinner at 8 see you there you know yeah <laughs> So that just kind of sets it all up, all, all in motion. It's like, okay, this guy's going to be a little bit not... Because we all love Jean-Luc Picard. I mean, how could you not? And then you have this guy who's who's his brother, who should be as close to him as anybody, is just like, eh, good, good to see that you're home. 
We'll see you at dinner. So that really then, that, that scene sets it up for the rest of the episode. And then and then you know just seeing Stewart kind of chew through this stuff is so it's so great. He just has, I mean, obviously there's when he when he has his breakdown is awesome. But but the, the scene after that, whenever they're they bonded and they're you know drinking and stuff is great. I love the little moments where he shows me that Jean Luc Picard. You know, as strong a person as has ever existed is really considering leaving Starfleet. He has those little wincy moments, mm-hmm. like when he's walking with Lewis in the vineyard and he's like, okay, send it to me. You know, but he's just got this little look on his face and stuff. And, you know, Stuart's so good. You know, you can't do a character piece like this uh, if the actors aren't good enough, right? I mean, obviously, right. you need everything to be good. You need, the, you need the writing to be good. You need the direction to be great. But you need you need the performances, or they're just not going to sell it. And um, we've seen examples of Trek where the performance wasn't there, particularly on the part of maybe some guest stars. Occasionally, it's not frequent, but you know it happens. But here, everything just works because everybody's so good. And it's just a great episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I really, really, I, I think I think you're right. Steve. I think this episode is is underappreciated in people's like you know top lists and stuff. And um, I'm gonna make sure that it's that it's in mine in the future. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, Ricard, um, uh, Patrick Stewart's scene there after they're they're fighting because uh, you know obviously in part two of Best of Both Worlds, you know we talked about Wolf Three Five Nine. We don't really see what happens; we just see the aftermath. So you don't really get an emotional feel for for that that battle on that scene until you see Ricard break down, and you know he remembers everything, and he's like he he just. He, all of that weight that's on him is just—it's just come, come, come out, comes out right then and there, and um, you can really feel it. Um, whereas you didn't know exactly what was going on in uh, Best of Both Worlds Part Two, and it's a very emotional scene. And um, you know, there should have been an Emmy just for that scene for Patrick <laughs> Stewart. Well, you know, if you think about—is it Best of Both Worlds Part Two is the one where he, we just see like as they're assimilating him we see like a single tear go down his yeah. eye mm-hmm. yeah that right. was part two you know in a way that's that's it that's all we get from those episodes best of both worlds one and two of what is this doing to card and then there's the last shot of of both worlds part two where he's kind of looking through you know in his ready mm-hmm. ready yeah he's looking Ooh. through that window and you know, we can see there's a, some distance on him. He's haunted a little bit, and that's that's pretty much it. And then in this episode, yeah, the breakdown scene where he literally says, "You know, they used me to kill, and I couldn't stop them." Okay, but we know that the rest of this is starting with the first scene when when Troy is counseling him, and he's like, "I'm just, I'm fine. I'm just gonna go home and see the family because I should, whatever." Mm-hmm. Um, but we we get these little moments, and we know that's what it's about, you know, and and if um, if you hadn't watched Best of Both Worlds in a while and then watched this episode, it's probably not as effective. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and it's it's, it's great. Yeah, the sequence they did. So I think they started off with Worf and his parents. Where you know Worf and his parents kind of came together. And I wish they would it. arrive so that it could be over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that whole sequence. So they start with Worf and then it's Picard and then you know we haven't talked about Wesley and that's at all in this episode because like I said it's kind of a, a C storyline um, yeah that whole sequence there towards the end um, it's you know we get that that 
that emotional Wesley scene even after Picard's breakdown. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we could go. I could probably go on for another hour about how great this episode is, and I think we all kind of agree that it's underrated. And mm. totally- I remember when um, you know when First Contact came out in '96, and they kind of prepare. I was so excited. To, I mean, I obviously, like most Star Trek fans in the mid '90s, I I loved the Borg, mm-hmm. uh, and I was so excited that they were coming to the big screen. So to kind of prepare for it, I liked watched all the Borg episodes <laughs> of Next Gen. I remember doing this. I watched them like all in a day, and I included Family. I wa- I watched Family after Best of Both Worlds Part Two. Mm. You know, it's like I can't. I can't. It is. It is the third part, really. Yeah. 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 You can't separate them from from no. Best of Both Worlds. You can't. It's just. No. It just doesn't work. You know, and and Picard goes home and gets healing that he needs. That's the other great thing. No, he's not. He doesn't leave 100%. He's going to continue to deal with this. But he has, you see, he can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, he knows what he needs to do and has to do. And and he knows where he belongs, you know, on the bridge to the Enterprise. Um, He gets exactly what he needs from from his family. And and I love that concept and I think it comes through, right? Mm-hmm. You've got he hasn't been home in 20 years. He hasn't seen his home in 20 years. He hasn't seen his brother in 20 years. He's never met his brother's wife or his nephew. But they're family. And he's instantly um accepted he has a connection to them. He can go there uh, and 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 find this this um sense of of self, you know, that he needs the the parts of him that is defined by from his family, you know, that that can that gives something to latch on to, you know, his brother can say, you know, you're human after all. You have to learn to live with this. You know, these aren't revelatory comments, but they're things that that you need to hear. And then when your family says that, it means something. And I just I just like this idea that you can be gone for twenty years and you can show up, and it's still family. Yeah. You know, and uh, we get the same little bits like from uh, Wesley. Never met his dad, really, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and that's his dad. And when his dad vanishes from the holodeck after giving you know his sanity as to say, Wesley is like, you know, goodbye dad or goodbye father, you know, something like that. Family, you know, and the same kind of connections with Worf and stuff uh, with the Rosenkos, Rosenkos. Um, so I, I, it's it's odd that when I was younger, I don't think I was as conscious of this sort of thing. But now, it, it's it's it very successfully kind of sells that to me. And there's nothing that can make characters more real by than by helping me relate to them than by defining their relationship with their you know family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously, anybody on planet Earth can relate uh, to that, you know. Well, I mean, yeah, you'd almost have to see this episode. This episode really comes in handy before if you want to watch the movie Generations. Mm-hmm. This this yeah. episode ties into that. I I, I kind of hate what Generations does to this. Episode. <laughs> yeah, I hear, I understand. But yeah. but it gives it a it gives it a more of an emotional feel that scene in Generations. But in, but in Generations it feels like a, almost like a cheap trick or something. You know, it doesn't feel as genuine and authentic. Cause the, the the amazing thing about this episode is that we can probably 
we can certainly count on one hand the number of times Next Gen did a flat-out character piece, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably we can count on one hand the, the number of times all of Star Trek did this. Uh, and one of the reasons is probably because it's really hard. You know, it's hard It's hard to do this. Like As we mentioned earlier, everything has to be kind of perfect for it to be any good. Um, but, God... This works. It's great. It, this episode holds up. And now let's explain why. What's it about? Well, I, I think for me, I mean, obviously the title uh, suggests that. And we've already discussed um, the, the specific unique bonds of family and what they reveal. To me, it's um, it's not only that. It's not only that, you know, you, you have a sp- a very specific deep relationship with family. I mean, assuming you've grown up with these people and you have these these ties and these binds, but also the, in a more general sense, the um, the necessity and and the resulting benefit of being vulnerable, of letting people in. In all three of these cases, um, people needed to open up to the people close to them in some way, shape, or form, and specifically in this episode, to family. But generally speaking, we have to let ourselves be vulnerable if we want to deal with uh, trauma or issues or anything in our life. Ultimately, you have to share it, and um, you have to be vulnerable to the people close to you, and you have to let people in. And then, in the end, we saw all three of these storylines, the uh, the benefits that, that everyone received. Got to open up to grow. So, I can... <laughs> yeah, it's right. pretty straightforward. Yeah, I mean... Well, I definitely think that it completely holds up, and it, yeah. and it's going to continue to do so because these questions are um, universal and are going to be with us forever. It's a great episode, great. I use the word "great" for family. Great, mm-hmm. awesome. Let's move on to six degrees for family. I believe our score is one to one. Um, Steve went first last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam. Yes. Which primary next gen actor does not appear in this episode? Which primary one? Um, let's say Jordy LaForge. No, sir. Steve. Would it be um, Data? You're correct. Data does not appear in this episode. <laughs> Steve, David Tristan Firkin plays Rene Picard, Jean Luc's. Nephew, uncle. <laughs> uh, in Next Gen's sixth season, who does he play in the episode? Rascals. Uh, yeah, he plays a... Um, John Luke Picard as in his youth because of the transporter thing. You are correct. 3-1. <laughs> and the, car, the Cardinals take the lead. <laughs> Moving on. Brothers, Season 4, Episode 3, Production Number 177, Original Air Date, October 8, 1990, Directed by Rob Bowman, Written by Rick Berman, Music Composed by Ron Jones, Guest Cast Include Corey Danziger as Jake Potts, Call Meany as Miles O'Brien, Adam Ryan as Willie Potts, and James Lashley as Kopf. Aboard the Enterprise, a young boy's practical joke backfires and leaves his brother dangerously ill. Because the boy needs special treatment to survive, 
the Enterprise rushes towards a nearby, nearby star base. En route, Data begins to inexplicably malfunction, slipping into a trance-like state and altering the ship's course. Data then severs the life support system on the bridge, forcing the evacuation of the command crew and leaving himself alone on the bridge and in control of the ship before anyone is aware of his state of mind. May I ask you a question, sir? Certainly. Anything you like. Why did you create me? Why does a painter paint? Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. This I, this is a good episode. I liked it. I remember liking it more, thinking it was better than it is. Um, some of the stuff in it feels a little bit like filler. Like we're just trying to like fill up some time or something to get to mm-hmm. the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the whole opening section, it was cool, but it sure goes on for a long time with data. You know, uh, but uh, it's fun. It's cool when he takes over the ship. Basically, you know. He, gets everybody tricked off the bridge and then um, there's a mystery about where is he going. It's kind of nutty that he can so perfectly impersonate Picard. (laughs) It's a Um, security risk thing there. You know, speaking of security risk, did they even, is there like a future episode where they say that they, they did something to data so that this could never happen again? Because you would think that would be something they would address. Not well, just I think the, the re- fact that he's taken over remotely, but also that he so perfectly impersonates, you know, Picard. No, Brian. What I think it was insane. I think, I kind of felt the same way. I I really I think this is a good episode. I still like it, but I like it less now than I did when I first watched it. Because I, I think the um, the science of it doesn't hold up. It's a little bit flimsy. You know, data. I mean, you know, he's a very capable android, obviously. But yeah, it just kind of everything just kind of really goes his way. Yeah, in this in the opening scene. Yeah, and then this episode. Also, the 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 B story, the ticking clock with the uh, quarantine boy, like both of all the boys stuff. I don't know. It just it falls a bit flat. They're not terrible. Yeah, but I don't not, get, I don't give a rip about the boys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it feels like they're just they're like it's forced in there. So there's a ticking clock trying to come up with some drama as to mm-hmm. why they have to be in a hurry to get it. And when, when we've seen that sort of thing so frequently, especially on Next Gen and. Uh, here it just feels even less original and more forced. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. yeah, watching uh, watching it now, I I wish we had more with soon and um and lore. I wish they would have had more of that, and it just kind of felt like they were under the clock. I mean, you know, first of all, you don't see soon until like a third into the um the episode, and then you know it's another commercial, and then we get lore, and then you really don't really have a whole lot of scenes there with the three of them, and I think. I think I would have rather saw more of that. Yeah, well, that's the meat. Stuff. I mean, that's the stuff. When I say it's good, that's the good stuff. I mean, that's yeah. that's what I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we 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 all. I'm sure we all totally agree that, of course, Brent Spiner is incredible and amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I bet you there are plenty of people that you could play them some of those scenes, and and while they could guess that the same guy is playing. Uh, did and Laura just because they look identical. I'll bet there are people that wouldn't even realize he was playing. So mm-hmm. he's that good. Yeah. I mean, he's really incredible. Um, and no. I don't mean to take that for granted by just throwing a comment out there. But real, real, that's real. great. That's the good stuff. That's the stuff we want to keep seeing more of. Before we get to the good stuff, is it just me or were you like a little bit distracted by his whole little dinosaur montage there in the middle? You know, he's got like this. Oh, whole... he's got his little playset. 
Yeah, it's play said he's playing for the dinosaurs. I don't think I noticed that the first time. The first time, you know, it's that. funny. I didn't. I've never really noticed it before. I, like I noticed the big dinosaur head. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> I noticed the little dinosaurs at the end that data gives to the, but I never really noticed the other little, little playset. I kind of found myself wondering, is this because I'm seeing it in high def for the first time? I saw the details of the little dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, talk about details, and I, I just flat min- forgot to mention this in the last one, but you all noticed, like, what's up with that chair and that mirror that Worf's sitting in when his parents came in that oh one time? Oh, my God. We, we looked out loud watching that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With the balls. <laughs> Chair. I yeah. don't go what the hell is that chair? <laughs> like is it supposed to be artwork? Cause no, he's sitting in it. <laughs> it's a bizarro. Um you know, but one of the things I like in Brothers is I like that it's I like the whole, the mystery of, of of you know data beaming into this jungle and then there's this one little mm. you know place there and then he goes in and it I think it, you know it is cool that Soong has all this stuff, but yeah, yeah, it's a little throws you off a little bit that there's little dinosaur stuff. But anyway, um, but I, I I mostly like uh, all the set design and you know one of the guys unsung heroes we never ever ever met. I don't think we've ever mentioned what's his name, Jim Mees, the guy that places all that little crap all over. You know, yeah. <laughs> died recently, um, but you know he did that for next gen DS9. And Voyager, I think. Definitely next gen DS9. Anyway. Uh he was amazing and uh you know, this is a good episode where you can see all that that stuff that kind of just defines soon without having the time to really define soon. Anyway. Um so the meat, the good stuff, yeah, it's it's when you remember brothers. Like I didn't even remember the whole sick kid storyline mm, yeah. at first. Like, wait, what is is this? Oh yeah. Oh, for, I for, totally forgot, you know. Um, maybe that was like my brain was trying to. It's, it's not terrible. It's, it's not terrible. It's just not very good. But once we get to the meat, there's a lot of great stuff in there. I really like that um, That it's kind of Soong's... Soong has a tragic flaw, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that it's... He, I don't think it's that he loves his son too much. Um loves lore too much but he won't he does not listen to data data implores him literally says i implore him but but like multiple times he tries to tell him uh what terrible things lore has done he tries to tell him why he should not reactivate lore and every single time soon cuts him off you know i i I like that i like Mm -hmm. you know if that hadn't been there it would have it kind of would have broken the whole episode for me but because that's there it 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 keeps it all together and it and it makes me it makes it feel <laughs> I shouldn't say okay whenever Laura attacks him I, I mean um, it's 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 it 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 defines the Soon character a little bit too you know what I mean mm-hmm. so I well I like mean that. it was well it's almost ego in a way you know it's like well I created him I know and I know I can fix him, and I know I can control him. So that's that's kind of the the soon ego. And it's also that he doesn't listen to data. You know, he doesn't listen to data. He doesn't trust data. He's still, in a way, treating data like like a child. Child. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um. And that sort of kills him. You know. And now they don't actually show him die, but everybody kind of just thinks of it as he's dead, right? Mm. After this. Which is kind of odd, you know. You just leave yeah, that, the that whole heap on the planet, and they all just leave, you know. Yeah, it, it that's a little bit weird. Like they should have just shown him 
actually for sure, no doubt about it, die. Yeah. Because yeah, otherwise, yeah. it's like even after we've taken care of the younger kid and he's out of the woods now, uh, we just end with them playing with dinosaurs instead of Data saying, okay, now that the immediate need is taken care of, I need to get back to my dad while he's croaking. Yeah. <laughs> even why wouldn't he have just stayed? You know, but anyway. All they had to do was show... Yeah, it was kind of a... That would have mattered. If Sam yeah, died, we'd be having this conversation. Yeah, it was kind of a weird ending, but um, I think we, we kind of found that the, the flaw... I They were trying to make this episode... To me, they were trying to make it action-y and, you know, suspenseful. Um, I don't know. It just is, it didn't play well, and I, I would have preferred them not they, even do that. They, they had enough of that with lore, and they could have added some more if they needed to, but right. we didn't need the kids and the ticking clock and all that crap. I mean, heck, it could have been... It could have just been Data has the thing go off, and he steals a shuttlecraft and doesn't, you know... Exactly. We didn't, we didn't need the... Enterprise at all, and they could have gone and tried to find him. I don't know. I'm just trying. No, to yeah, I think it would have been adequate if they were simply searching for him. You know, I don't. Yeah. I don't you know, they didn't beat all that. Yeah. And then you have you know, the it is, it, this episode. Those sections, they kind of, they feel like I don't know, second season or early yeah. third season or yeah. something. They 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 don't feel like season four next year. Well, and I think the biggest reason is because it's not focusing on our on our characters and our character development. It's, it focuses on these people we don't care about, these kid, two kids. You know, I think that's exactly. why. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Definitely. Um, um, first mention of the uh, emotion chip. We're going to get a lot of that. It, it it grows and changes shapes before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's funny because it looks so much cooler. It, I always picture it as the way it looks in generations. Yeah. But in, when when Soon grabs it here, it's like a paperclip. <laughs> or it's like, or it it like a, a watch battery. Might be a watch battery. Oh, a watch battery. Yeah, but it look, yeah, like like you put some nail polish on a watch battery. That's what it looks like. But in generations, it looks really cool. I don't know where you'd fit that in his body in generations. Uh, but it looks much cooler. I like to, if I have to make an excuse for it, I like to think of it kind of as, uh, you know, there's the chip, and then they, like, build a motherboard around it or something <laughs> for a generation. Uh, the uh, the made-up reasons. I remember yeah. back in yeah, the Star Trek Communicator, the magazine, folks, before we were all living on the Internet, we were subscribing to magazines yeah. to find out about Star Trek. And they used to, in the back of the Communicator, people would write in questions, and, and they would try and answer them. Usually it was David Arnold. Mm-hmm. Some guy, if you've ever, ever had a chance to meet him, um, but they would try to answer. And a lot of the times, people would ask like continuity things that were obvious continuity errors. Mm-hmm. They once printed my letter, actually. Cool. <laughs> uh, I anyway, that. I remember that. You do, yeah. Well, actually, they got two letters on the same topic at the same time. They printed the other guy's letter, but they they gave me a byline anyway. <laughs> um, here's my point of all this. So a lot of the times, they would say, "Okay, yeah, you caught a problem." However. Here's a made-up answer. They yeah, always, yeah. Give, always give you the made-up answer. So that was uh, Steve's made-up answer. Yeah, exactly. You can make it. You can make anything work. Sure. You sure. really want to. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, they were uh, they were giving the chip um, an extra motherboard. It was like the M7 co-processor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I dated our podcast for the people that listen to it in the future. Um, yeah. So of course. This episode is very fun from the uh, Star Trek lore, lowercase l. Hmm. Um, 
next gen character history, all that kind of stuff. Um, I wanted to play this episode for my wife because I remembered liking it more and I remembered it as being significant to the character of Data and stuff. Uh, but we couldn't work out the schedule on it before the podcast. So we only watched Both Worlds 2 and, and Family. And after I'd finished this one, unlike the Barkley episode from Season 3, I felt like, oh, okay. It was okay that she didn't see this because yeah. it wasn't. I could I can explain this in a couple of sentences. The, the good stuff in there I can explain in a couple of sentences, and then she's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I mentioned yeah. that sort of thing just as a you know. What were you going to say, Caesar? I was just going to say you could just show her like ten minutes of the episode, and she'd get the whole gist of it. Yeah, you know, just the- but it is it is pretty awesome. I mean, when you're watching him and you're thinking, "Holy Mary, Mother of God, he is playing three characters in this scene, and mm-hmm. they're the only characters in the scene." I mean, that's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. That's I why he wasn't in Family. Yeah, that's true. This actually, the uh, research, my research for this episode, this is one of the few episodes they actually spent um, a day or more in rehearsing, which they never do. But they did it here because they had to, they basically had to plan out every one of those shots and block them and all that ahead of time. Hmm. Yeah. So, So, yeah, because of the the fact that the little kid stuff kind of falls flat. Maybe that's the reason, but I don't, I've never seen much of a connection. It's called brothers and we see those little kids are brothers. And at the end, is it Crusher or Troy? I forget. It says Crusher, the brothers. Yeah. Did. Crusher. Like, it just, it doesn't feel like there's any real connection. No, it's no, a stretch. No. Yeah. Because of, how is data going to ever forgive lore? I mean, it just doesn't. Uh, there's a little bit of a the one other thing I feel like I'm being negative a lot more than I intended to be it's a little bit weird of an edit to me it's a weird cut like when they jump into uh, soon giving um, Laura pretending to be Data the emotion chip do you guys ever feel like that like like you miss a scene I didn't necessarily need to see Laura you know, knocking data out. I don't necessarily mean that. Mm, I see what you're saying. Yeah, but it just it feels like we just kind of a jump. I don't know. Well, it's 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 weird in the fact that you know, Lore's already knocked data out once, and how's and data's already now data's already now suspicious of him. So how it, data? Yeah. How did how did he trick him a second time? They just kind of just glossed over that. Oh, yeah, okay, maybe that's not bugging me. Maybe that's what's bugging me. You're right. Yeah. yeah. You know. It's to, in, instead of coming up with a clever way to for lore to disable data, they're just like, you know what? We'll just he did it, and um, that's what's kind of bothered me, especially when data's already been on guard again on on lore, and it's it's just kind of the whole thing kind of drags out. I mean, it's like, oh, I got this chip, and it's going to be so great, but I'm going to go to bed first, and then you know, <laughs> yeah, that's the best part of it too. That's kind of weird. It's like, I need to take a nap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Data should have been like, "Okay, you do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand guard over you." Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I just it, there's a little bit clunkiness there, but overall, I'm, I think this is a good episode. Oh yeah, I'm glad it exists. Even if I, when I'm watching it, I really just want to get to the Data lore soon stuff. And you know, I think when we can get into what it's about. I think a, a lot of the scenes between Data and Laura there, not Data and Soon before Laura shows up, about them talking about procreation and. And kind of being what's it about? Well, that's what it was kind of about for me. It was like you know, because 
Data is asking um, soon why he created him, and then they kind of kind of go into that whole spiel. On a quick side note, Data did procreate by this time too, so I was hoping for you know for a dialogue there. But anyway, that's something different. Mm, yeah, that's that's what I kind of feel like this whole episode is about: probably, yeah. father, son. Um, yeah, <laughs> they would have talked about lol. Yeah, that probably yeah. would have made a little more sense. But moving on, but yeah, that's kind of what it was about for me, and that whole explanation oh. of, of that yeah. kind of stuff. Steve? Well, I mean, I think that's kind of the pro- one of the problems with this, is that it's trying to do a number of things that don't quite catch. I mean, you know, it ends with that line about, uh, you know, brothers forgive and all that, but it, it you, you don't care because you don't, you don't feel that connection. You don't feel like I want to forgive Lord, nor do I care about what those two kids are doing. And then you have, yeah, you have the talk about, you know, um, the legacy going on because of procreation in humans, yet we're not talking about humans and procreation. We're talking about these androids who don't really do that. And the, the biggest thing that resonated with me was the notion of when, when, uh, Soon was trying to dismiss or forgive Laura's behavior because of the opportunities he had or did not have. And for me, it felt like, well, maybe there's something there a little bit in terms of this notion of nature versus nurture and choices made within a context of the environment you grow up in. I mean, that's something meaningful. You know, how much are the differences between Laura and Data related to programming? Um, nature it would be and how much are the difference between them being the context in which they came into their world which would be the nurture that that's kind of interesting to me but i think there's it's it's so scattered all these different ideas yeah. that it just, yeah, it just nothing comes it. to the forefront mm-hmm. yeah so i guess what makes this episode ever so slightly disappointing is that i think the pieces were there it could have actually been a great one i think this could have been a great mm-hmm. episode yeah um, yeah. yeah, it's one of the few that doesn't. Does. Yeah, it's got good parts. It doesn't hold up quite as well. I think we can all kind of agree that we probably liked it a lot more when it first came out than we do now. Yeah, but um, not a bad day when you get to talk about Best of Both Worlds Part Two and Family mm. and uh, Brothers. Oddly, I think I like Family more than. It's hard to say. I was going to say I think I like family. Obviously, I like family more than brothers, but I think I like family more than best of both worlds part two. But I don't. I won't really compare them because I. I, I don't. You can't really have one without the other. And I don't really think of best of both worlds part two as. I mean, I, I just think best of both worlds kind of. I think a lot of the time. You know, for the purposes of our podcast, we really pulled it out, and that's fair. But anyway, mm-hmm. probably uh, splitting hairs here. Anyway, I'm glad we have brothers, and if nothing else, like it's going to help. Uh, redemption for me. So, uh, I think we've covered it, yeah? Yeah. All right, let's uh, do six degrees for brothers. I believe our score is Steve has three, Adam has one. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Adam, James Lashley. James Lashley plays Ensign Cop, who fails in his efforts to regain control of the bridge. On DS9, he plays George Primen in the episodes The Passenger and Move Along Home. In what season were these episodes featured? And I believe that was your all-time favorite episode, Move Along Home. Move Along Home. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Move Along, Move Along Home. Was move what, along, season was, what season was that? Season. Hello? Oh, I didn't hear you. What did you say? Uh, I said season two. 
No, it was not season two. Um, Steve, one. You were correct. It was season one. All right, uh, four one. Let's see, uh, Steve. Mm-hmm. What is the security code the data inputs into the computer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. It was. Uh, <laughs> it was. One seven three four six seven three two one four seven six Charlie three two seven eight nine seven 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 six four three Tango seven three two Victor seven three. <laughs> that was my second guess. Sorry. One one seven eight 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 seven three two four seven six seven eight nine seven six four three seven six lock. But um, you were close. Well, Steve's a little distracted right now, unfortunately. Oh uh, well, uh, it's of no consequence. Is it over? Yeah, it's over. Yeah, I'm congratulations sorry. to the Boston Red Sox. Sorry, Steve. There's always next year. You guys got a good team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, if you would like to comment on the Cardinals, you can send your emails <laughs> uh, to chuckcompanion at gmail.com. Um, we had a, a nice email this week from one of our listeners, and I don't have the handy right now, but um, thank you. It was nice. Um, you can follow us on Facebook. That's Facebook.com slash Trek Companion. You can follow us on uh, Twitter. That's uh, at Trek Companion. Um, if you leave us a review on iTunes, you click the little five stars. If you're feeling really kind, click five stars and then say, these guys are awesome. Uh, that helps other people find us, which is the best and coolest thing you can do. Um, thanks so much for staying with us. And... Uh, we're in season four of Next Gen. Oh my God, we're almost uh, like like halfway through the series. Yeah, you can believe yeah. that. Flying. Yeah. All right. So, thanks again for joining us. Until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>